Felicity Joy, and I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ in recovery for codependency and sexual integrity. I grew up with a very happy childhood and incredibly supportive parents. They did a wonderful job making me and my younger brother feel loved and supported. They did not, however, do such a great job with each other. I remember spending a fair amount of my childhood in my closet, analyzing their arguments, a codependent behavior that started early. I received help taking on other people's problems as my dad overshared with me many problems that he was having with my mom from a young age. Poor boundaries such as this in relationships continued in high school as I constantly played counselor to my classmates. For advice, I just repeated everything I heard on Oprah. I wanted so desperately to be loved, but at the same time, I found myself addicted to the attention that new relationships would bring. A couple of years out of college, I got an opportunity to do a directing internship in Washington, D.C. There I stayed with an old roommate's parents and attended a church that changed my life. Though I had grown up in church, this pastor taught sermons that sounded more like college lectures to me. And I was so excited that God was meeting me where I was at. I was so excited when God fulfilled my lifelong dream of getting married. Unfortunately, things began going wrong, starting in the limo ride from the church after our wedding. My husband and I had attended seven other marriage classes, counseling sessions and seminars before going to our church's new ministry, Celebrate Recovery. It was the only one that actually worked. As soon as we began implementing the principles, we saw results until the inventory. Principle six in Celebrate Recovery tells us to evaluate all our relationships, offer forgiveness to those who have hurt us, and make amends for harm that we've done to others when possible. All my relationships, even from childhood, definitely needed an overhaul. My husband thought it was too hard and asked too much of him. Our marriage immediately tanked again and I felt left holding the recovery bag. What was I to do now? My marriage may not be saved by Celebrate Recovery, but would I? I decided to continue going full speed ahead I had not felt so much hope and direction in years. I learned to come out of my codependent behaviors through the small groups and encouragement from my sponsor. I want to say to any newcomer at Celebrate Recovery, or if you're considering becoming a newcomer, this program truly works if you work it. Many people are afraid to pursue God's will for them thinking only of what they may have to give up to follow God. I found all I gave up was my pain, my fears and insecurities, and a distorted view of life. I would encourage anyone to focus more on what they can gain. A deeper relationship 
with the one that has loved them first and best of all. Well, good morning, church, and it's so good to have you here uh, with us. And again, this is such a very interesting and bizarre way that we're connecting, but we're so glad that we can. We're so glad that we had a chance to hear throughout this series, Game Changer, uh, the key stories that we have from friends of ours in Celebrate Recovery. And so we want to thank Felicity for doing that. And the thing with Celebrate Recovery is that they're identifying these game-changing realities, these game-changing moments that they've experienced when they were honest about the fact that they had hurts, habits, and hang-ups that only Jesus could resolve. And so one of the, the, what the, the principle that, that she was working through, that Felicity was working through, is one of the most difficult ones. And so everything I'm about to say to you might come in such a way that's like, whoa, that's, that's a little bit of a steep climb. This is a little bit of Mount Everest for me. And if that's, okay, if that's you, I just want to let you know you are not alone. The principle, principle six that she talked about from Celebrate Recovery reads as follows. Evaluate all of my relationships, offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me, and make amends for the harm I've done to others, except when to do so would, to harm, would be to harm them or harm others. Another way of saying that would basically be, I have an opportunity as a follower of Jesus in my own recovery to extend forgiveness to others and to apologize to others, except for in situations where my contact with that person would cause more problems than not. Now, a lot of times we out ourselves from the opportunity to step in on a deep level because of that excuse, but there are so many opportunities for us to experience the bountiful happiness that Jesus has for us when it comes to this issue of forgiveness. Now, everything in Celebrate Recovery is banking on something that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, and this is no different. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 7 and verse 9, the following. In chapter 5, verse 7, it says, Happy are the merciful. And we talked about this the first week. Um, that word happy isn't just this light, fluffy, you know, I eat cupcakes, it makes me happy happiness. It's like the, the fullest happiness. Like, I, I'm fulfilled. I'm like super blessed. I, I just feel like th- things are right. That degree of happiness is what Jesus is saying here. The person who feels fulfilled and complete is the person who's exp- expressing mercifulness. Uh, The person who's expressing peace and is actually not just expressing peace, but is a peacemaker. Now, if you're watching this and maybe you're in the living room and you're not a Christian or or someone just sent this uh, link to you and and you're not, you're not a believer and you're like, I'm not, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I'm not sure if I buy that whole thing. I just want to tell you that this is something that is actually, you can start applying this even before you're a Christian and see the effect of it. If you're someone who's more merciful and you're more of a peacemaker, you're going to see a qualitative difference in your own life. But to be honest, I mean, you've got to admit, you'd want to live in a world where Christians who actually believe in Jesus live this out. I mean, you'd want to live around and work with and and maybe be in relationship with someone who's merciful and is a peacemaker because that all revolves around forgiveness. Now, if you are a Christian, this is something where you actually have the capacity to express this super complicated and super loaded word to a greater degree. Forgiveness is something, if you're a Christian, you have three realities that you can actually express, and here they are. First off, you have the opportunity to experience the truest and heaviest form of forgiveness, extending forgiveness to others, and seeking forgiveness from others. That's all part of what it means to follow Jesus as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian. But it has to start with that, that first foundational level of experiencing forgiveness yourself. I think that anyone can forgive someone, but I believe that the quality and the, the depth of your forgiveness comes deeper when you've been someone who recognizes you've been forgiven of a ton of stuff. 
in just two days, um, on Tuesday, we're going to be uh, celebrating a really weird anniversary as a family. And the anniversary is one year since um, we came back from this awesome uh, Washington, D.C. family vacation. We come back from that, that vacation, and we got home. We're super tired from the road trip, um, and just everyone's kind of groggy and tired. We didn't have, like, a meal figured out, so we just were eating, like, wheat thins and cheese, and it just basically chilling out, made a little fire in the fireplace, watched a movie, and everything was just perfect. It was just great. We were all tired. The fire's out in the fireplace. I make sure that we shut down all the lights and lock the doors, and everyone goes up to bed, and everything was great until I woke up at 3 in the morning, and something just felt wrong, and I smelt a little bit of smoke. It was, it was just a little bit off. And so I went downstairs, and I'm looking for the source of the smoke, because I'm looking over in the fireplace, and there's no fire in the fireplace. It was just as dead as when I left it. And I'm looking around, and I don't see anything until I see a band of light, just orange light underneath the mantle be, uh, above my fireplace. And I, I thought that maybe the mantle itself was on fire, so I walked on over there, and I realized I wasn't looking at the mantle itself being on fire. I was actually seeing a crack in the wall, and I was seeing it, what was exposed was that the whole inside of the wall was on fire. What I didn't see was that that fire was going up the whole wall. That was, it was behind the wall that my wife and I's bedroom was up against. It was actually into the attic space and crawling above the bedrooms where my children slept. There wasn't a single um, smoke detector that went off that woke us up. It was just the panic of myself being downstairs, freaking out, trying to get the family out. And we got everyone out of the house. Um, Thank God we got everyone out, and everyone's going off into the absolute cold. And when I walk outside, this is what I see. I'm just looking at this blazing north side of my house just engulfed in fire. And as my kids are ushered over to a squad car by the Manuka Police Department, I'm just standing there waiting for the fire department to show up. And, and it was one of the most powerless moments of my life. And as I'm, as I'm sitting there just watching this, just begging God that this doesn't just jump to the next house over, I'm, a- I'm asking myself the question, how do, why, what do we do with this situation? How do, I, how do we solve this? And there was nothing we could do. The fire department shows up. They put out the fire. Um, we walk through the house. They tell us it's going to be a long time. And what I first initially felt was absolute relief from the fact that, that God had taken care of us, that he had preserved us. But that relief quickly turned into a feeling of guilt. Within the next 48 to 72 hours, the guilt of the whole situation started to weigh heavier and heavier and heavier on me. This fire was going to displace my family for the better part of a year. This fire could have taken my wife's life. This fire could have taken my sleeping children's lives. This fire was started by me. I mean, Billy Joel can say all he wants that he didn't, that he didn't start the fire. I don't care what Billy Joel says. I did. I was the one who put the logs in the fire. I was the one who started the lighter. I lit it on fire. I was the one, and I had to live with that, and I couldn't even speak it because I was afraid of saying it to Julia and for her to agree, yep, it is your fault. Good job, Errol. I was absolutely, it was just tearing me apart. And every time it would surface, I would try to push it down and just tell myself, it's okay, it wasn't your fault, it wasn't your fault. But it didn't help. And one morning, I just woke up early and I just couldn't sleep and I waited for Julie to to wake up and I just said, Julie, I just gotta tell you, I'm so guilty for what happened. I feel so ripped and torn from the inside about what took place. And Julie said what you probably would have said to me. Errol, it wasn't your fault uh, the, the, the fire department, the inspector said that there was an ember that got out of a fault line, a crack in the firebox, and it was in the, in the wall, and it was nestling there for five hours before it lit the whole thing on fire at three in the morning. 
And she said that to me, but that didn't help. In fact, like if you ever feel super, super guilty and someone says, oh, it's okay, it's okay, that doesn't make it better. It makes you angry. And I was angry at this situation. I'm like, no, Julie, you don't understand. I get what you're saying, but it was my fault. If I didn't start that fire in the fireplace, I've relived that moment over and over and over again. If I didn't do that, none of this would have happened. And Julie said something to me that I will never, ever forget. She said to me, Errol, it's not your fault. But even if it was, I forgive you. It's not your fault. But even if it was, I forgive you. And I laid there and hot tears just streamed down my face because I felt, uh, the only word I can use to describe it is absolute relief. Um, In the subsequent days, we were walking around looking at the carnage and I picked up this little... uh, piece of OSB board. It's just a, a little tiny section of the north side of my house. Burnt, charred little section. And I keep this in my truck. And I, I see it every single morning when I get into my truck. And I don't keep it so I remember the tragedy of that night of the fire. I don't even keep it to, remember, to remind myself of the guilt of that moment. I keep this to remind myself of the forgiveness I experienced from my wife. Now, you might be listening to that and just wishing that you could experience that from a loved one that you've wronged or you felt in the wrong about, and you just wish that they could say those words to you. But I just have to tell you this right now. You have something infinitely more weighty and significant from the fact that Jesus has said that very thing to you. You were wrong, and I forgive you. You are someone, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have experienced profound forgiveness that does something in you because it doesn't just come and reservoir inside of you and stay there. It actually does something greater than that. And this is what it does. It actually comes and it starts to metamorphosize you. It starts to change you from the inside because when you realize you've been forgiven that much, it starts to make you to the degree that you're recognizing that. It transforms you into a kinder person and someone who doesn't just take that forgiveness from God but actually passes it on to others. Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32. Be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving each other, not because you're such great people and you've got the capacity to do it, forgiving one each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. If you're someone who's a follower of Jesus, you have the opportunity to experience forgiveness that is your baseline bar for how you then approach the world around you, leading you to being able to extend forgiveness to others, to the people around you. Now, the, the problem with, with wanting to forgive, like even as I'm talking about forgiveness, I, I got to know that there's people that are watching that are probably like me looking for a loophole. Like, yeah, yeah but, you, but not this type of person or not th- for something like this, right? Forgiveness is something that we hold off because we misdefine it. So we're going to talk really quick about what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not saying these things. Forgiveness is not saying what you did wasn't a big deal. Forgiveness is not saying what you did wasn't a big deal. It's not saying I can forgive you because it really wasn't that big of a deal to me. No big deal. It's not saying that. In fact, a lot of times forgiveness is forgiving things that are massively big deals. So forgiveness, we have to remember, forgiveness is not saying what you did wasn't a big deal. It's also not saying what you did doesn't still hurt me. Forgiveness is not saying what you did, I'm over it. I'm fine now, and so therefore I can forgive you. In fact, most forgiveness happens while we're still in the trenches of the pain of what we're experiencing. Forgiveness is not saying what you did doesn't still hurt me. Forgiveness is also not saying we can go back to the way it was. And this is really, really important. 
To think that forgiveness is saying, I will forgive someone if I'm willing to restore the relationship and bring it back to the way it was, that's not forgiveness, that's reconciliation. Oftentimes, people, all humans, Christians and non-Christians, we fuse these two together. I will only forgive someone if I'm willing to restore the relationship. But this is not what Jesus is commanding, and these are two separate things, forgiveness and reconciliation. Let me just give you one picture of what that could, the difference could be. Let's say Julie and I are going on a date. Um, we're going to go to a fancy restaurant, probably Arby's. And so we're going to this restaurant, and we get a, a babysitter. We get um, a high school girl. She's 17 years old, and we, we let her, give her the instructions. We leave the house, and we come back. We find out that while we were gone, she opens up her backpack, and she brings out tons of liquor. She gets my younger two kids totally wasted, and then she gives them the key to my truck and gives them turns to drive around Manuka in it. And I get back home, and I find out about this. What I wouldn't say to this young lady is, you shirked your responsibilities. You acted illegally. You got my kids drunk. You put their lives in danger, and you totaled my truck. But I'm a Christian. So we're good. In fact, what are you doing next Friday night? Because we'd love to bring you back into being the babysitter for the McFadden family. No. That is not only irresponsible, that is not forgiveness. Forgiveness is what I'm called to do with that young lady. I'm called as a Christian to forgive her, to send the bitterness of what she did away so I'm not holding it against her. But I'm not always called to reconcile, saying we're going to restore this relationship to where it was before the wrong. When that is possible, fantastic. But it is not always possible. Forgiveness is not saying we can, in all situations, Go back to the way it was. And finally, forgiveness is not saying you deserve forgiveness. Forgiveness is not saying I'm forgiving you because you've done enough, to, you've shown me that you're sorry enough, therefore I'm going to forgive you. Or you, you've done enough to make it up to me, therefore I'm now going to award you with forgiveness. No, forgiveness is not that. It's not, in fact, in Jesus' own words in this Sermon on the Mount, we see what he is saying. He says, happy are the merciful. That word merciful, it's, it's a word that's important for us to understand. In Greek, it's el emon. And el emon is a word that's describing choosing not to give people the punishment they deserve. Choosing to not give people the punishment they deserve. This is kind of the difference between grace and mercy. Grace is giving someone something they don't deserve. Like, for example, a kid has been super naughty, you love them, and you're going to give them a free gift anyway. So in spite of your naughtiness, you don't deserve it, I'm going to give you this gift anyway. That's grace. Mercy is not giving someone something they do deserve, not giving someone the punishment they have coming to them, something that should be a negative reaction that you have every right to express. You are making the decision not to express it in its, in its fullness. That's mercy. And so when Jesus says the most fulfilled people are the merciful, that is what he's describing. And, and so if you're someone who's been holding off on forgiveness because you thought it was any one of those four definitions, I got great news for you. You don't have to hold back from the happiness that Jesus has for you one more day. Today, you can step into the blessing of what he has for you because he didn't describe any of those things as the thing that he was after when he was saying, be forgiving, be merciful. In fact, we can actually see what forgiveness means. It, forgiveness is the conscious decision to no longer want for that person the same pain they inflicted upon you. Let me say that again. Forgiveness is the conscious decision to no longer want for that person the same pain they inflicted upon you. 
This, this is another word saying, listen, you hurt me. You hurt me, and you should not have done what you did. But I am making the decision to no longer expect the pain to happen to you that you inflicted upon me. I'm no longer holding out for that. I no longer desire that. I'm sending the desire for your downfall away from me so that you can experience something else. And that's not my business, but I'm choosing to make it my business to send away that bitterness. Another thing that forgiveness is, is it's not a one and done. It is ongoing. I talk to a lot of people who uh, are in situations where they get really frustrated in their Christian walk. Like, they know that they're supposed to forgive. And yet, they're still like broken up about something that's taken place a decade ago. Or like, man, I, I, I still can't get over the fact that I forgave my dad for that way back then, and it's still bugging me. Or I, I can't get over the fact that I forgave my ex, or I forgave my kids, or my parents, or my spouse, or my employer for what they did and said in these situations. And yet, it's, whenever I think about it, it still hurts me. It still aggravates me. It's, it still raises my blood pressure. Forgiveness is not a one and done. Humanly speaking, it is not a one and done. The only one forgiveness is a one and done with is the Lord himself. For, for you and me, it's an ongoing process. And this is what it looks like. If you've been really wronged and you have to forgive something incredibly painful, it's going to start with you making that decision on a minute-by-minute basis. I am choosing in this minute the conscious decision to no longer want for that person the same pain they inflicted upon me. And then over time, it's going to get to a point where you're not even thinking about it except for every hour and maybe a couple times a day and then a couple times a week. And then over time, it's going to start to dissipate. The reality is it's going to find its way back in. Life has got a way of recalling the things that most ca- cause you the most pain and scarred you the deepest. Something's going to happen that's going to trigger that. It's going to remind you of what took place. But here's the great thing that you have as a Christian. You have the decision to, again in that moment, make that decision again. I'm not going to be identified by this anger. I'm choosing in this moment to send that anger away, to send the bitterness away against this person and expecting that bad happens to them. I'm sending that away. And the more you do that, the more you are shaped by that act of forgiveness and you become more and more merciful. Now, if you're not a Christian, um, you may have heard Christians talk about how vengeance is not something that we take. We're like, oh, I don't take vengeance. If, I, I, the lane of vengeance is not something I, ta- I go through. I, I want to go through the lane of forgiveness. The lane of vengeance is, is like, you know, like if you're disrespectful to me, boom, I'm going to be disrespectful back. If you hurt me, boom, I'm going to hurt you back. You say something rude to me, boom, I'm going to be rude right back to you. And as Christians, if you're not a Christian, you probably have heard us say, yeah, well, we don't do that. Vengeance is mine, says it's the Lord. So, I'm not going to do this. I'm someone who lets it go. I'm over here in the forgiveness lane. But we know Christians who believe both of these and, and avoid this lane for this lane, but choose instead a third lane. And that third lane is bitterness. Bitterness is the lane that people choose when they make the decision to, on the surface, let it go. But inside their heart, they're still hoping for the hurt to happen to that other person. They broke up with me. I, so I just, I do, totally Facebook stalk them. I'm just waiting for them to be in. I've saw, seen a ton of great relationship pictures with them in. I saw their relationship status. I'm just waiting for the day when they're broken up with that person. When that person sees what kind of a jerk they are. And that is going to be the most glorious moment. We do that. That's bitterness. And there's never, ever, ever been a person that you want to hang out with because of how bitter they are. Like no one says that. No one says, oh my gosh, I just love spending time with this person. They're so bitter. 
Like, I mean, seriously, like when I, I, we were having dinner, it's like every word out of their mouth and everything they have to say about the people in their past, super bitter. I, I wish I could spend more time with them. No one says that. Every single human being, we know this bitter old person. Whether you're 16 right now or 86, we all grew up knowing a bitter old person. And the reality is, is that there was a way they got there. They got there by living life like you and me. Without any correction from the Lord. If you don't want to end here, learn to recognize the bitterness in your heart and live a merciful life by not giving that person what they deserve in your heart, holding on to the pain. Instead, choose forgiveness. Extend the forgiveness to others. And what that does then is it gives you the capacity to take the third and a little bit more painful and difficult step, which is seeking forgiveness from others. One of the things that um, we, we see in this is Jesus' words uh, in, in verse 9. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. Now, I've always thought about that coming from the angle of I like to watch other people's drama. They're messed up. I'm going to come in and try to help uh, them. And ignoring the fact that oftentimes what Jesus is calling us to do is recognizing that we need to be peacemakers in the wars that we start to. You and I have a tendency and a capacity to start wars. We're not peacemakers by, just by ourselves. Um, in my family, one of the things that, that we, my wife and I have with our kids is we have a zero grudge policy. Like no grudges. And it's basically because we don't want drama. Like we don't want drama with our kids. And we know that if you have resentment and you're holding on to that, you just let it go a day after a day after a day. It just builds up layers of resentment. And that never leads anywhere good. And so we want to work through something. We want to talk through something, but no grudges. And we take that policy, that, that principle, to an obnoxious level. Um, and let me explain what I mean. If, like, when Micah was in high school and Carson was, was in the house, they're both in the house, and they're brothers, and they're getting under, under each other's skin. What Julie and I would do is we would talk it out with them, and they're still, like, you know, frustrated and everything else. And then <laughs> Julie and I would say, okay, guys, Carson, Micah, stand up. Face each other. Now give each other a hug for 30 seconds. And they hated it. We loved it. Now, you might, if you're a kid at home, you're like, we are never going to do that, mom and dad. That is like, we're never going to do that. That's madness. And if you're an adult in the room, you're probably like, you're right, that is madness. Pastor Errol and Julie, they have lost their mind. That's psychotic. Their kids are going to be in counseling for years because of that. And you might be right, but this seemed like a good idea to us until our kids turned it around on us. Because our kids are not the only ones in the house that can be the worst version of themselves, especially when you have a shelter-in-place scenario. Julie and I are not the best version of ourselves with one another sometimes. Some of you out there, you have awesome Hallmark, you know, movie lives, and everything goes great. That's not the McFaddens. We get under each other's skin sometimes. And when we do, sometimes my wife and I were just at each other, and, and this past week, that was, that was exactly what took place. Just everything was just adding up and all the stress, and we were short with each other. It was disrespect. It was awful. And Carson, as, 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 all, as we're just starting to quiet down, Carson raises his voice. And he looks at us and he says, Mom, Dad, stand up. Face each other. Now give each other a hug for 30 seconds. It was awful. It was messed up and I, I hate it. Because I'm not, I'm not naturally one who wants to, to make peace. Honestly, and Julie, we're both, too, we're both super stubborn. And so that is something that's, that's difficult for us. But I'll be honest with you, it comes down to pride. All of us have a terrible thing with pride where we have a, a yeah, but they problem. We have a yeah, but they. Like, you should apologize to the person you've wronged. Yeah, but they did it first. Yeah, but they do it the most. Yeah, but you should have heard what they said. And this 
problem that we have with one another keeps us from actually apologizing and being the peacemakers that Jesus called us to be. And, and what it boils down to is pride. We feel like I'm not going to lower myself after all that they did, after what they've said. I don't even understand why they're angry at me. They're blowing this out of proportion. Sound familiar? All of us do that. So what's the solution? Jesus. If you're a Christian, you have the capacity to recall the fact that you have been forgiven much. You've experienced the forgiveness. And the entry level experience of that is acknowledging to God that you have wronged him. This, you haven't wronged someone who's wronged you or could potentially wrong you. You've wronged someone who's had nothing but love for you. And, and your wrong is on a cosmic level, and he forgave you. When that took place, something happened inside of you that changed everything. You have the capacity to now go at this in apologizing, and to the degree that you keep Jesus forefront in your mind, apologizing becomes infinitely easier because you're coming to this person knowing that what you're about to apologize to, to this person for, Jesus has already forgiven you. You're already forgiven. And because of that, you're coming to this person whole. You're complete. You acknowledge that there's parts of your heart that you don't fully understand yourself. So it makes sense that this person who's frustrated with you, you don't get it, that you have the capacity to go and apologize to them anyway because you, you know that you don't know your own heart. You don't know how you came across. And so you're asking God, give me the eyes to see their pain. Help me understand what they're going through. Help, help me walk in the way that'll help me understand them. The truth is, is that each one of us is called into this. And this might be the best time for you. Um, we're right now in a pandemic. What if we recognize that if we came into this pandemic with baggage, we don't have to leave it that way? If you came into this pandemic with damage and baggage, you don't have to leave it that way. There are people in your world that you may need to apologize to or you may need to forgive that up to this point, life was so busy and it was so hurried that you didn't give yourself the chance to slow down enough to recognize this cannot be procrastinated another day, another week, another year. That this is the time. That, 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 I, that perhaps in the midst of the, the crisis where so many of us are thinking about helping those who are on the front lines and praying for our first responders, that we can take a step back as well. That we can also recognize that God may be using this space to deal with the people that we need to do business with. So here's what I want you to do. We're going to have a song that's closing, but I want you to do something very specific and very, very important during the song. I want you to make two lists. Now, you can do this on paper. If you've got paper and pen handy, awesome. If you want to do this on your phone, I know Pastor Eric told you to put your phone away. You can bring it out for this and open up to notes. Or you can make a mental list if you can remember things. I can't, so I have to write it down. But I want you to make two lists during this song. First list, the people that you need to forgive. There's a chance that someone you need to forgive is in the room you're with right now. A sibling, a parent, a spouse. Maybe this is someone that you need to forgive that's a Facebook message away or a text away that you can simply say, I've been thinking about the pain from back at this point and I just want to let you know, I forgive you. Make a list of the people you need to forgive. Second list is the people that you need to apologize for, that you need to be a peacemaker with. And again, chances are those people are very close to you 
right now. Make a list of the people that you need to apologize for. Not making excuses, not explaining yourself away. That's so easy to do. But instead, simply saying, I hurt you. And I'm sorry. Because Jesus has already forgiven you, no matter what their response is, even if they don't accept your apology, you've done what he's called you to do as a peacemaker. You've done what you were created to do. You're reflecting the reality of your forgiveness. Lastly, if you're not a believer, this is an opportunity for you to, act, to reach out for the greatest love human history has ever experienced in Jesus Christ for you and for me. He forgave us. And not only forgave us, he actually reconciled us. He made it right so that when God sees you, he sees the effectual work of his son for you. During this song, think about those two lists. Make them and think about how you're going to step into making those right.